Our analysts break down fights, bring you pre-bout predictions and previews, plus talk all things MMA, from the UFC to Bellator, and every show in between. If it's a fight, we have you covered. Are you ready? Baseline Times presents TJ Labello, Josh Thomas, and Cody Gwynn with Baseline MMA. Welcome to a new edition of Baseline MMA. We're on episode number four. Cody here with you. We got Josh and TJ, and we are ready to dive right in. We'll take a look back at UFC Fight Night, Brunson and Shabazian, one of the uh, most cursed, I guess, or snake-bitten UFC cars in a while after a lot of successful shows, including the ones over at Fight Island. This is the first show that we've really seen some bad luck. We'll also preview the upcoming UFC fight night between Lewis and Olenek. Also got some Bellator cards coming up on the horizon as well. First off, let's welcome in TJ and Josh. What's up, guys? What's up, brother? Hey, everybody. We're going to dive right in. Let's start with the past week's card. We'll just start at the very top. It was a bit of a uh, upset to kind of kick things off and. We made our picks, and we were kind of all aboard the Edmund Shabazian train. But I think in every pick that we made and talked about, especially you and I, Josh, you know, we sort of seen that Derek Brunson had some openings. But uh, he took full advantage of those openings, a big win for Brunson to finish Shabazian early in that third round. Maybe a fight that should have been stopped after the second, but a big win to uh, really derail the early young hype train of the Ronda Rousey California project, Edmund Shabazian. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I'm I'm kind of on the fence. I I do believe it might should have been stopped in the uh, at the end of the second. But uh, me and you talked last week about the uh, just the the pure savagery and like the gameness of Derek Brunson. And it kind of that veteran status kind of showed up and showed out, man. And, and we kind of mentioned that it, it did have a huge potential to happen. But man, that uh, <laughs> man, he was he was the biggest underdog on the card, and he. I mean, he let him. He let him know what was up, and no performance bonus. I heard he didn't get a performance bonus for that. Man, nope. he's because he killed the Golden Boy. Yeah, L- literally. That's isn't that his nickname, the Golden Boy? I'm not sure. Do you think he should change his nickname to the Silver Boy now? <laughs> <laughs> now I mean, either way, watching him go into that fight, I think it's the first time I've seen him go in there where I can actually see a game plan for him where. He saw what Shabazian had to offer in that first round, and then he kind of gassed himself out a little bit. It didn't seem like he had the gas tank to go even the whole three rounds. So once uh, Brunson kind of sensed that, he just put, uh, took it down to his world and took over the fight. The wild thing is, Shabazian was actually outspoken. He won a five-round fight. He was sort of upset that the fight was limited to just three <laughs> There's rounds. There's no way he could have gone five rounds. Yeah, he really wanted five rounds. But, you know, for Brunson, he, he changed camps, and this is now his third camp working with Henry Hoof. And you mentioned that he had a game plan. And he, I mean, he knew it, and he said even in the pre-fight build-up videos that this is a new Derek Brunson, that he's not – he has zero interest in being that middleweight gatekeeper. He still feels – he could be a contender, and it's a crazy division. The, the division's actually being matchmaked very quickly. You know, with uh, Robert Whitaker, we talked maybe he should sit on the sidelines. He said, nope, diving right back in to fight Jared Kennanier in a great fight. And now you have Derek Brunson who gets this big win, and I think everyone's sort of circling Jack Hermanson's name, thinking that's just the next perfect fight. So middleweight's really starting to get, you know, these fights booked where this division could possibly move pretty quickly in terms of, you know, having your title fight, then your next contender, and a title fight, and your next contender. You know what's really rough about Brunson is, like, we all kind of viewed him as a gatekeeper kind of coming into this. But if you look at his losses, um, I mean, he lost to Israel, right, who's the, the current champ. 
Uh, you lose to Jacare, who Jacare is one of those guys that in every um, like every promotion he's been in, like he's been world class. He's been right at the very top, if not the top two, maybe top three. Um, and then you know he lost to uh, he lost to Anderson Silva and he lost to Robert Whitaker, both former champions. Yoel Romero before that. I mean Kendall Grove, who won the Ultimate Fighter. I mean I'm not I'm not saying that Derek Brunson might go on this incredible title run, but it is very interesting to see where he goes from here because I mean he did look really good. And part of what makes Brunson such a hard fight for anybody is he's so awkward, right? He doesn't – it's not so much perfect textbook strikes like right down the middle. It's it's these weird, wild uh, uh, power shots. And, man, I could watch that Derek Brunson all day long. Yeah, if he can find a way to, to put that, that style together really well with his wrestling and, and uh, win some fights, then you can see him up there. But, I mean, if not a title contender uh, – very surely a top 10 contender all the way. And TJ, coming back to you, when you look at Edmund, you know, we talk so much about the hype trail being deranged and everything. This guy was, you know, 22 years old. He is a young gun, 11 and 1, wins over Jack Marshman and then Brad Tavares. This was a big jump in competition, so by no way is he falling completely off the wagon here. Still a lot of time. I even think Dana said that he still feels like this guy could be a future champion in the middleweight division. Uh, but there's a lot of different directions you can go with Shabazian. He's got Ronda Rousey as a manager. Of course, people already took to Twitter and said maybe he should change camps and do the one thing that you know Ronda Rousey did. But he's been with them you know, since he was, I think like they said, 13 or 14 years old. So that just doesn't really seem like an option. Uh, what do you think is next for uh, the <laughs> nicknamed Golden Boy Edmund Shabazian? Uh, I mean, it's hard to say what really what's next for him. I mean, I mean, I, I can really say right now that uh, it's harder than ever to be a young champion right now because, like guys like John Jones, like when he was a 22 year old champion, like nobody saw that guy coming. Now nowadays, uh, the game has even advanced a lot more to where it's even harder to be a younger champion because if you look at it, most of the champions right now, they're up in the 30s or over 30s or even in their mid 30s, like they're experienced guys. So, I mean, for, for these young guys, I mean, they have plenty of time to develop Shabazzians in a, uh, a pretty good camp. So, I mean, he's got plenty of time to go in there and fight somebody. And even maybe uh, the loser of next week's middleweight uh, matchup, you have uh, Akmenov and uh, Chris Ma- uh, Weidman uh, going next week. So we'll, I think uh, you could actually see the winner fight Brunson and the loser maybe fight Shabazzian. What's really uh, like what's really different about Shabazzian is Shabazzian has such good stand-up, and he he hits so hard. At 13 years old, he was a training partner for Ronda Rousey. I mean, he he has a lot of experience, and maybe that camp kind of gets shit on a lot because of uh, uh, Edmund Tavardian and and head movement, head movement. But uh, I don't I don't know, man. I think it worked for Ronda for quite a while. It worked for Edmund for quite a while. It's easy for us to like kind of play. Uh, couch coach and like say oh he should you know he should move and he should do this he should do that sometimes like and like cody tj you you fought too so like you guys can kind of both agree with me sometimes you just have off nights absolutely and i'm not by any means saying that he should change camps or anything like that he's he's in a camp that works really well for him and that's all that matters oh yeah 100 percent. i i think what i really want is i want him to take some time off I think that would probably be the fairest thing for him to do is take some time off. You're 22 years old. He took a little bit of a beating. He needs to take some time off. Yeah, man. Take some time off. Prepare that brain. And then you kind of know where 
um, like where your errors were. Like, you know, you need to work on some takedown defense. You need to kind of work on this, kind of work on that. Come back stronger, you know. Maybe, you know, Ronda's his, uh, his manager, you know, and she's still very athletic. I'm kind of thinking that maybe Ronda's probably still in the gym just working with him maybe, but, um, you know, get some of that judo from her. Uh, Manny Gamburian's another really good name that came out of that camp. So, I mean, he has all the tools there. I mean, take some time off, kind of hone in on your skills, and then come back. And, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think the hype train is necessarily dead. I think even in defeat, uh, you know, he handled it really good. I think even in defeat, it's, this is still kind of a win for him because he got that first loss out of the way young. And, uh, you know, he's got time to improve. Yeah, his train is definitely not derailed, maybe just a little bit slowed. And I think uh, he's he's going to be just fine. He's going to be just fine. We've seen a ton of fighters, too, really improve from that first loss. It's almost like that first loss rejuvenates them. They no longer have that pressure of being undefeated. Uh, the main event was an upset, but maybe not even the biggest upset on the card. The co-main event was uh, one of those fights that really came out of nowhere. It was short notice. Uh, Joanne Calderwood seemed like she had a title shot locked up in the 125-pound division, was going to be the next challenger for Valentina Shevchenko, a fight many people had already started breaking down and thinking maybe this is a test for Shevchenko due to Calderwood's past, her Muay Thai background, her improved ground game. But she takes a short-notice fight with Valentina on the shelf for an unknown amount of time, steps up against Jennifer Maya, who's not a killer, not had the reputation of, of being this you know big-time top-five flyweight, but out of nowhere, Maya gets in there, looks pretty good on her feet, and then the fight hits the ground, and Maya throws up a beautiful armbar towards the end of the first round, a massive upset that takes Jennifer Maya, similar to Derek Brunson, from that sort of gatekeeper status at 125 pounds to Dana White and Valentina both confirming that she looks like she is, in fact, the next title contender at 125 pounds. Uh, Josh, what do you think about the upset, and does Jennifer Maya present any sort of threat to Valentina Shevchenko? Bro, I can't help but notice that uh, all three of us, myself, you, and Gabe, all three had the last two fights on the card uh, definitely stolen from us. <laughs> um, no, I think it was, a, it, was a, it was a ballsy move from Calderwood, man, and sometimes this is like this is kind of the price you pay um, for wanting to, to kind of take a short notice fight. You know, we've seen it happen to Cowboy a couple times. You know, we've seen it happen to a couple other people. Um, I think Joanne's going to be okay. I think she's going to bounce back. Jennifer Maya, on the other hand, had a really good night. Um, as far as lining her up against Shevchenko, I just can't see anybody in the flyweight division holding a candle to uh, Chevy for any amount of time. Um, I think for Jennifer Maya, probably the best thing that you can do is maybe get you one more fight, you know. I would really like to see Cynthia, uh, Cynthia Calvillo kind of kind of earn that uh, – you know, that, that top two, top three spot. So maybe maybe book them together, you know. That'd be a really good fight. I don't know how long Shevchenko is going to be out for. I've seen the day she was kind of hitting the bag. But I definitely don't recommend Jennifer Maya fighting Shevchenko. That's, you know, if you're a fighter and you're in the UFC and you're kind of within that top five, of course you're going to think that you, you know, you have these skills to, to become the champion. And you very well might possess that. Um, but we see with Jessica I, you know, sometimes you're just not ready to fight the champ. And... I don't know. I'd really like for Maya to maybe fight that Cynthia Calvia fight, but it kind of is what it is. If you want to fight Chevy, I mean, I can't see, I can't really see her posing any sort of threat to Shevchenko because we've seen such dominance out of Shevchenko, but uh, could very well be a really good fight. So was Maya the underdog going into this fight? Oh yes, she was. Uh, she was the second biggest underdog on the card besides the main event. 
That's surprising to me. I, I honestly had her favorite in this fight because she's the last former Invicta champ. And, I, I mean, she's more impressive to me than Calderwood, uh, in my opinion. Calderwood is, is a contender, has never really been a champion. And she's fighting a, a champion in Maya. And I, I could definitely see Maya uh, going for that title. Uh, but I have to kind of agree with you, Josh, and say I would love to see her fight Cynthia Calvillo. That is a much better fight to me to really see who should fight uh, Jevchenko next. Well, we kind of just seen an Invicta champ come over in um, in Jinyu Frey, right? And she, you know, she lost in the first round to. Uh, gosh, I hate I hate forgetting that young girl's name. Um, anyways, Jinyu Frey, she came she came over from Invicta, and she was a champion Invicta. She came over and and uh, lost her UFC debut. Invicta, it's one of those things, and we're kind of seeing it with, like, Megan Anderson as well. Like, it is the second best to the UFC. Um, if you're a champion, that... I think you're a champion, and I think you see it with Gaethje, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy yeah. was a champion over somewhere else who dominated, you know what I mean? And 100%. Well, you had that with Marlon Marais, too. Marlon was the, the uh, WSOF champ, too, and, and he came over and had a really dominant run. Yeah. What I'm saying though is it's different fighting like an Invicta champ, and then it's and then you're fighting like Amanda Nunez or maybe uh, Shevchenko because those are two two ladies who are absolute worlds apart from mm-hmm. the competition already. Yeah. Um, so I I do I want to see Jennifer Maya do good, but I want to see her fight somebody else first. Take that Cynthia Calvillo fight, um, even Jessica I. That wouldn't be a bad fight. You know I hate to kind of put Jessica I, uh, nah, you know, I... kind of back in the Shark Tank, but but you know just. You know, get one more fight under your belt, and then, um, then challenge for the title. You know. Yeah, I think that. I mean, when was the last time Shevchenko fought? Uh, it was Caitlin Chukagian in January. Yeah, early this year. And from all the reports, it looks like Shevchenko is looking to return end of October, early November, and that's why Dana's kind of been on the the push yeah, I mean, to find a contender. And and again, you they see, showed the tweet at the end of that fight. Yeah, you know, she she, she like, called her out. I'm ready for you. And you got to remember that you know what just happened to JoJo. She had the fight booked, it fell through, so she dives at another fight with Dana confirming that I mean you beat the the you know quote unquote number one contender. I really don't see Jennifer Maya opting for another fight. If they've told her she's the number one contender, there's a good chance that she's gonna fight Chuchenko regardless. Uh, Caitlin Chukagian, she's gonna be the one that kind of puts her hand up and goes, well now wait a minute, I, I beat Jennifer Maya early last year, so she's kind of sitting there in that odd spot where she's. Re- Recently lost to Shevchenko, but she sort of got that number two on lock. And one of the big fights, and we'll talk about this fight in a little more detail later on the show. That's easy. That's easy. You can solve that. Oh, yeah. And uh, the big news, uh, Jessica I has a fight booked. Jessica Andrade is going to move up to 125 pounds and fight Jessica I uh, sometime in September. So now you can bring Jessica Andrade into the flyweight division to possibly mm-hmm. present a new challenge. She's going to fight Jessica I. Yep. Jessica I might be really cringy, but she's such a nice person. Why do they do this to her? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they're kind of using her in some, in some different spots here. In so the, I guess we'll just have to kind of see what happens there, but I would love to see Calderwood fight uh, Shukagian, and then maybe we can see another rematch there. You know you know what I kind of want to see now, now that I know it's like possible, 
is a potential Shevchenko and Andrade fight. I, I really think that's what the UFC is possibly yeah. angling, angling for because I mean you got to think Andrade looks so good at strawweight, but she came down from bantamweight because she started fighting in bantamweight when the bantamweight division was first put together. So they feel her and her camp both feel that this right in the middle at 125 uh, allows her just to really be you know a little bit quicker than some of these girls and still have that same power. So she'll be a real interesting name to watch. You're seeing more strawweights move up. You know Cynthia Calvillo is a girl who's really going to possibly make a big impact in this division depending on whatever her next fight is as well. Some of the other fights on that card this weekend, uh, you know, Vincente Luque looks like he could be just the most fun to watch fighters in the UFC period when you go outside the top five in each division. Another just almost kind of squint your eyes and go, ooh, every time he lands a punch fight against Randy Brown. Um, guys, Vincente Luque, I mean, are we still underrating him? I mean, is this guy legit a top possibly five welterweight yeah, he looks good. Uh, he surprised me in that fight. I mean, he threw really good leg kicks the entire time, keeping Brown off of him. Uh, I think it was sort of uh, more Brown's game if he could have got him to the ground early. But Luque did a great job on the feet. I'm kind of a the leg kick connoisseur of like my friend group. Like, I absolutely love leg kicks. <laughs> I love what Vicente Luque done. He he kept the rangier, like the longer fighter, kind of at bay by leg kicking him and absolutely destroyed that front leg. But, uh, man, Vicente Luque is in such a weird spot now because the guy ranked in front of him is semi-retired Nate Diaz. Um, you know, I, I think potentially he, uh, I don't know. I, I, I kind of want to say that he could go on a title run, but then you have fights like the Nico Price fight where he, you know, it was kind of back and forth, you know. And then before that, you have the Steven Thompson fight who Steven absolutely beat him up in that third round. So I, part of me thinks that he is ready for that level of competition, but then you kind of see these flashes of um, uh, almost like the Justin Gaethje. When Justin first came to the UFC, how he was just wild, yeah. just absolutely savage. You see these these moments of that where you're kind of like, oh, you could potentially throw the fight away doing that. And you kind of seen that with Mike Perry. You've seen it with Brian Barberina especially because um, Vicente Luque and Brian Barberina were just absolutely one for one just the whole fight. So I kind of I want him to – I definitely want him to, to kind of be working towards that top five, but I still think he has a little bit of time to go, um, which is absolutely okay because he's only, what, 28 years old? So he, he is kind of young in the sport, and I think he's definitely putting himself in a good position early, but definitely must-see TV. I mean, I, I can't remember the last Vicente Luque fight that I didn't watch. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's got a lot of guys to, to jump over to, to move up in that division for sure. Uh I would love to see him fight sort of the next level of what he just kind of did, maybe fight Neil Magny. I think that would be a really good fight for him. And welterweight division is sort of odd where you just have – it's almost like brackets in the division. Obviously, you got your active guys like Kamara Usman and Gilbert Burns, and then Jorge Masvidal is sort of in that next bracket where really you just don't see them giving him just any up-and-comer. You know, Masvidal, if you want to put McGregor and Diaz in that division as well, those guys aren't just going to fight anybody. So Leon Edwards, he's sitting there in that contendership. you got to think Colby Covington and Woodley is just days away from being finalized. So then, you know, that sort of changes the way we look at the division and some of the other names. You mentioned Stephen Thompson. I'm sure that's a fight that Luke would love to get back. He's fought a few times since then. Thompson's not fought since. 
and then guys like Anthony Pettis, who I know is angling for some sort of random fight with Anderson Silva that wouldn't really make a ton of sense, but that's the fight that both guys want, so that's being angled for. Uh, Neil Madney's uh, going to fight 13-2 Jeff Neal here soon, and that's going to be a barn burner of a fight later on this month. So there's a lot of names all over that division. And, of course, you know, Shemaev is in that division, and he's rising up quick too. Uh, but Vincente Luque, you mentioned he's in that, that weird spot where you – you just kind of see him keep fighting guys that maybe are not on your radar, so you wonder if that could be next for him too. And then one other fight from that main card, uh, the fight that uh, Josh, you and I talked a lot about, just expecting some crazy things. Lando Venata against Bobby Green, and the fight, of course, had a little bit of everything, uh, but in the end, Bobby Green, really one of his best performances to date, where we got to see a lot more of him uh, just using pretty clean technique. It wasn't a very wild Bobby Green. He was very clean in the win against Lando Absolutely, uh, a, a ten times different Bobby Green, a very mature Bobby Green. Before we jump onto that though, you know what would be really good would be a welterweight uh, Vicente Luque and Robbie Lawler, or even an RDA. I think those would be two household names that might get Vicente kind of on everybody's radar, just because that guy definitely deserves, uh, you yeah, know, he definitely deserves to be a household name the way he fights. But yeah, man. The Bobby Green that fought Lando Venata this weekend was definitely more matured, and he was a little bit more measured about his approach. Like He didn't kind of go in there looking for a brawl uh, the way that their first fight turned out. And for a moment, you know, going into that third round, I was truthfully a bit worried that we might have another draw on our hands. TJ, what did you think? Yeah, for for uh, for him, yeah, I mean, no, I, I kind of had him going all the way, honestly. As far as scoring? Yeah, I mean, he was, he was, he was going all the way. I mean... He the close the close round was probably the first one for him, but two and three he he dominated, in my opinion, with the strikes and he counterstruck him very well. He led very well in that fight. Venata was on his back leg the entire fight. That's kind of the problem with Lando Venata is he's so inconsistent. You see these really brilliant flashes of what a Jackson Wink fighter truly is, and then you kind of see these eh, kind of performances. You know what I'd really like to see out of Lando because he is kind of a smaller lightweight. Just try to make that drop to, to featherweight. You know, I know it's easy for me to say that behind a computer, but, uh, you know, I think with his body type, I think it would definitely be possible. Maybe. And, uh, I think I he think does he, well in that, in that, in that weight. I think he just fights really tough guys. And he had a, a great fight with Tony Ferguson. Um, I think Green is just on his way up. He's a warrior, that guy. He's been in the game for a long time. Maybe it is his time. Bobby has Absolutely. been Bobby's been around for a long time and fought a lot of good guys. Uh, now yeah. he's getting close to 40 career fights, and there's so many good fights at lightweight too for Bobby Green moving up due to his style. And we get to see a little more of his wrestling as well in the fight against Lando, where he landed a few takedowns and would immediately follow it up with some ground and pound over 115 or over 100 significant strikes, 115 total. Uh, so I agree with TJ there. I think Bobby uh, really kind of adds a little flavor to this division. I think a lot of the times we've used this word a lot so far on the podcast, but that gatekeeper status at lightweight, which, again, there's absolutely nothing wrong with, you know, it's got a negative connotation, but, I mean, there's some good fights if you're right there in that top 15, top 20 range, especially in a division like lightweight. You know, coming up, we're going to talk about the show this weekend, and Benil Darniush and Scott Holtzman are fighting for, really, that top, that number 15 spot in the division. you got to think Bobby Green's going to have a close eye on that fight about coming up, and we've seen a lot of guys you know, in the lightweight division, Drew Dober's on his way up. There's a lot of guys in lightweight, and I would add Bobby Green to that list. I think he definitely makes some really fun fights once you get into the top 15, top 20 of the 155-pound division. 
Yeah, I'm very excited to see who they give him next. I, lo- I love to see him fight. He talks trash when he fights. He's very slick and smooth. Uh, and then after the fight, he's very respectful. So he gives it right back. So he's very exciting to watch. This is also one of the uh, one of the second weekends back-to-back that we've got hairdressers on the main card, you know, because Davis and Figueredo used to be a hairdresser. And fun fact, Bobby uh, Bobby Green did too. So <laughs> must be must be something away that the nimble fingers worth. That, uh, I find yeah. it hard to believe that Bobby Green was a hairdresser, but uh, Figueredo, I, I believe it actually. <laughs> you know, you know, if you just look at Bobby Green, you just listen to him talk. You know, I kind of think he's like one of those. Uh, like one of those old school cowboy kind of guys, you know what I mean? Like kind of an outlaw. He's he's a really cool guy. No, I I really I I like Bobby Green and uh you know, he's another one of those guys that kind of in the same boat as like Vicente Luque. Like I would I would thoroughly enjoy for him to be a household name and and get a little bit more star power because these guys are they're exciting to watch, you know. Anytime, you know, we talked about Lando being must-see TV and, and Vicente Luque being must-see TV. Bobby Green truly is as well. Yes. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, guys, before we move on to the upcoming cards of some uh, fights just recently booked, anything to take away from the prelims? I know this past weekend was just crazy in terms of some wild things happened. You had two fighters faint on the show. Uh, you had the show end up losing three fights on the day before, on the weigh-in day. They lost three fights. They were able to replace one real quickly. Then one fell apart the day of. Then Gerald Mearshart fell out after he tested positive for COVID-19, and they, Ed Herman jumped on a plane and went home, wouldn't even stick around to possibly take a late-notice fight. Ended up being a really small card with just eight fights total, uh, besides just the craziness. Anything you guys took away from the prelim? I know uh, Jonathan Martinez missed weight, but he had a very, very sharp performance against Frankie Sinaz. We've seen Nate Maness get hit with six low blows in a fight and still pull out a nice win there, even without the point deduction. Uh, anything else you guys took away from the prelims? Well, I didn't. I didn't see many of those prelims, but he got hit with six low blows and nothing was taken away. They took away a point, but he still actually won the fight, even if you gave the point back. Unbelievable. That whole card was littered with low blows. Oh, that was. <laughs> I definitely. It definitely had to have set a record. Yeah, I think Paul Felder kept count. Well, I, I absolutely. That's one of the things that. We don't really mention a whole, whole lot, but uh, I definitely, I really like Paul Felder on the mic on commentary. I really like Michael Bisming there as well. Um, overall, you know, when you actually, if you were to give this this fight card a score, you know, like uh, like you're grading a test in school, you know, A through F, um, you know, this was, this was a pretty good C plus to maybe a B card, you know. It, you know, the fights that you, you lost out on, you know, you always kind of wonder what would that have been. Um, but the eight fights that we did get, you know, I was thoroughly entertained. I thought it was a very good fight night. And, you know, there are some times where I love MMA, but there are some times you don't want to sit in front of your TV all night. You know what I mean? Especially when you have kids or you have a wife. So, um, an eight fight card is definitely kind of, a, um, a, you know, what is it? Bob Ross used to say a happy mistake. It's definitely a happy mistake. <laughs> Yeah, and sometimes when you get those smaller cards, you start seeing the pace slow down. Like the, it's crazy because you know the eight fights, it felt it still sort of dragged at times. When we go back to last week and we had 15 fights and we were boom, boom, boom. Like I loved that. Like it made me say, well, man, put 15 fights on every card. The UFC's got a roster of over 2,500 fighters. Why are we not doing 15 fights every time? But, I think we had a conversation about that. <laughs> yeah, like I mean that pace was so fun, and then this time you know we had. A fight, then a Derek Brunson video. A fight, and an Edmund Shabazian video. A fight, a preview of Miocic and Courtney. So, I mean, it's like, let's just let's just watch fights. But uh, definitely a odd night of fights. And, guys, before we get to talking about Lewis and Olenek and that whole card, I uh, just want to talk about
about some of the fights that recently got finalized and announced and see what your thoughts on it were. So uh, let's take a look at our fight cast for the upcoming month. Miss any of the fight announcements this past week? We don't sleep. Time for the fight cast with Cody Gwynn. And this fight is actually coming up in 10 days. So it's on the horizon but just announced Jim Miller is back in action. You know Jim Miller loves to fight almost every weekend. He's the new cowboy, it seems like. But he's going to fight uh, Vic Pichel, who's been around for a long time, but yet only about seven fights deep into his UFC career. He's had a lot of injuries, missed a lot of time. He's 12-2 and two overall. Uh, he's taken a big step up, though, and he asked. You know, after his last win against Roosevelt Roberts, he said, you know, I know I've, I've had some injuries. I'm not here a lot. But he wanted a top-10 guy. Uh, not quite, but he does get one of the toughest guys in UFC history and Jim Miller. Uh, what's your thoughts about Jim Miller coming back? Uh, again, pretty pretty active has been Jim Miller over the past year. I like the uh, the act of veterans. You know, that's kind of one of those cool things where um, you get win, lose, or draw with the veterans when they fight. You know, because they do kind of bring this name value, they always you always take away from the fight um, either a new, kind of a new fighter to look out for, or uh, you potentially have a, a veteran on a, on a decent run. Jim Miller is one of those guys that I love watching Jim Miller, man. A lot of people, you know, he might not talk a lot of trash and he might not have the, um, the most exciting fights, but a lot of his fights are really exciting. Um, I don't know, man. I, I'm cool with it. I like, <laughs> I like watching Jim Miller every month, which is kind of, kind of what it feels like now. Yeah, it does. And, and TJ, uh, you, also your thoughts on the Jim Miller fight, but also one other fight that we've known was happening, but now it's completely finalized, August 22nd. Not the main event will be the co-main event, but it is official Yoel Romero fighting Uriah Hall on on August 22nd. I love that fight. I love that fight. And uh, I w am still waiting to see the day where Romero will just use that wrestling in his fight. But him going... Uh, and a striking war with, with Hall is, is going to be very exciting to watch. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Uriah had a, a pretty decent standing affair with Paulo Costa for a moment or two, you know, so he's definitely – he's not afraid of, uh, of big hitters, you know. And, no, he stands with everybody. He doesn't really use that wrestling a lot unless it's to kind of get guys off of him and to hold his ground. But yeah, he's you're... he's a great striker. He's very – he's uh, – We've seen some of uh, how powerful some of his strikes have been. Yeah, Uriah Hall, he, he's one of those guys that um, he definitely doesn't back down. I like I like him versus UL Romero, but, um, you know, you kind of have to go with UL on this just because anytime we've ever maybe potentially counted UL out, he just absolutely blows your mind with these wild flying knees and these weird kind of jerky movements. Um I kind of like to forget that Israel versus Yoel Romero happened. <laughs> yes, tw 25 minutes I would like to get back. But, um, no, I, I really want to see – I want to see what he does after that fight because that was such a weird fight for Romero, a very patient Romero. And uh, it kind of makes you wonder, like, like where the mindset was for that compared to where the mindset is for this. You know, if he's trying to get back to title contention um, or, you know, if he's, you know, maybe on the, the end of his career, but – Either way, I've, I've got Romero winning that fight. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say by a finish. I don't know. I, I don't want to call the round, but I, I do think he probably finishes Uriah Hall. 
you know, both guys really, it seems like maybe the two fighters, maybe in the UFC completely, that had the biggest bag of tricks, but you just aren't sure if they're going to really open up the bag or when they're going to open it up. I mean, both guys have such devastating finishing ability, and we've seen it at times. But then others, we've seen we've seen Hall at times. I mean, it's almost like he just shuts down. If he eats a big punch or if he starts kind of not being doesn't have the advantage if he gets caught on his back foot we've seen him almost shut down and Yoel Romero man one of those one of those great fighters who will go down in history as one of the best to not win the title because he's always right there and he's had so many great opportunities and you know Romero was listening to offers at both 185 and 205 before the Hall fight was booked so you wonder if maybe that's his way of saying he's going to kind of go looking for big fun fights thinking that uh, it could be a minute before we see him back in the title picture unless we see something you know if Paulo Costa was to defeat Adesanya maybe then Romero can hop back into that title picture uh, this is not a fight announcement but do want to talk to you guys about this uh, Zabit Magomedsharov or Sharapov had the fight against uh, Yair Rodriguez booked again and it's almost becoming Justin Gagey Tony Ferguson number two where the fight is again off Yair Rodriguez announced that he does have an injury. Uh, Zabit quickly jumped on Twitter and said that he signed the bout agreement a few weeks ago. Yair never did. The fight was never officially announced. And then said either A, UFC's playing games, or B, Yair has no balls. So now there's a big opening for maybe the top guy in the featherweight division or the top up-and-comer in the featherweight division. Uh, do you guys think that we're going to see Zabit get a new fight booked? Or do you think the UFC just starts to look at this and goes, you know what, Zabit's the number one contender and starts working on a title fight? New England cartel, Calvin Qatar, Calvin and Zabit, number two, a five-round fight. I definitely think that fight ends a lot differently than the first one. Calvin wants um, it, too. Calvin's already quickly called the UFC oh. and said, give me that fight. 100%. Give it to Calvin, for sure. 100%. If not Calvin, then you might say Brian Ortega. You know, I seen a video earlier. Brian Ortega's been in, uh, in the gym. He's been training, you know, but it's kind of hard to tell where – uh, Brian Ortega's at because I don't it was a fight with the Korean Zombie finalized before the, the coronavirus hit it was rumored and they were working the UFC was working on doing a really big card in South Korea and then the pandemic happened and Zombie is really locked up he is, South Korea is a lot different than really any other foreign country where they won't even let him go to Fight Island he can't even travel to Abu Dhabi so he can't he can't leave yeah so maybe if you know maybe I would I would angle for the Calvin Qatar uh, rematch, but if not, you know you've always got Brian Ortega there. Uh, you know I, I hate to kind of do this, but I'm sure Max Holloway would take that fight. Um, you know just to kind of earn his spot back. You know I I think he won the last fight against Alex Volkanovski, but you got to kind of wonder uh, if the UFC would even book Alex versus Max three. You know after you know Alex on paper winning two fights back to back, so. Um, there are like there are a lot of interesting fights to make, but uh, I don't know. I would I would I think I would much rather see Calvin Qatar Zabit number two than any other fight that you could probably make out of that. TJ, you in the same boat there? Oh yeah, for sure. I'm I'm all the way Calvin Cater on this on that one. I would love to see him fight uh, Zabit. Um, real quick, do you guys think uh, Volkanovski and Holloway should fight a third time? It would be a tough booking. I mean, it's. I love that Volkanovski was outspoken about this and said, you know, are we just going to fight until Max wins? And, I mean, that's a real good point to make because, I mean, what if they fight a third time and it's another close split decision for Volkanovski? 
I just think you've had two fights. I really, I mean, even if Holloway needs to take one other fight, I mean, just put him with one other person. I even, you know, I, I know I said on one of the podcasts, I love the idea of Holloway and, and Calvin fighting somewhere down the line, um, taking Zabi out of the picture when he was fighting Yair. But I, I think Holloway needs to go fight at least one other fight just so he doesn't lose three times in a row because it could very well happen. I mean, if you lose three fights in a row to the champion, you're definitely not getting another fight. So I would love to see Holloway go try to get at least one win before getting that fight back. See, I'm I'm kind of salty because I I truly did think that Max won that second fight, but I'm kind of I'm in the same boat with you though. I don't think that you should you should risk booking it a third time, you know, because because fans are kind of going to be at this point they're going to say, oh well, they fought ten rounds, nah, you know. Um, so I say let Max, you know, he's he's always going to be at the top of the featherweight division, um, but let him kind of work his way back to a title shot and see what happens with uh with Volkanovski, you know. A really good fight for Volkanovski. If we could ever figure out when the Korean Zombies come back, would be the Korean Zombie, you know, um, or or Zabit, you know, if that's the direction they choose to go. But um, you know, I definitely I definitely like Max taking another fight and not booking that for a third time, especially so soon after after the uh, the last fight. What was that? Like a month ago? Two months ago now? Yeah, yeah. As, a, yeah. as salty as I am about him not winning that second fight, I think he should probably fight somebody else. I mean, how long is Zaire out? I mean, I could see him fighting Yair Rodriguez when he comes back. Alway Rodriguez, and then Sabit fights Cater in the meantime. Yeah, I didn't uh, I didn't actually see anything. I don't know about Zaire, Yair's injury at all. I just know that they, they actually publicized it. I don't know what happened to him, though. Uh, they said it was an ankle injury, but they didn't say the extent of it. If it's, if it's uh, let's say, like a sprain or, or maybe even a clean break, you got to probably say you're looking at a good four to five-ish months, you know, before you can really start a training camp. Um, so, you know, if you take him out of the picture, you know, that's, there's Calvin, there's Jeremy Stevens. Um, there's a lot of really fun fights that you could make for Max Holloway at 145. And I honestly wouldn't be opposed to seeing him go to, to back to 155, you know, after, you know, the Dustin Poirier, uh, I like to say that was a project because it was, you know, Max's first fight and he gets thrown straight to the wolves. But I would like to see how he maybe handled a, uh, somebody that's not in the title picture at 155, you know, a top 10 guy, and let Max take the time to gain the weight correctly and uh, kind of learn his body at 155, you know, that could be fun as well. But I, don't, I definitely don't agree with booking a third time so soon, you know. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, I'll, I'll actually be the one that kind of stands out here. I really think the UFC may consider pulling Zabit from that card on the 29th and doing something else there. I can really see the UFC possibly considering just giving Zabit a title shot. I really do. I just think he has that that ability to kind of draw fans in with just how wild and crazy his style is. And we don't know about Zombie. I still think the UFC really would like Ortega to get another fight before they put him back in the title picture. I think if there's a chance Volkanovski would like to fight sometime before the end of the year, if they don't do the Holloway third fight, which Dana has come out and said that you know he's not against. I don't think it's a good idea, but Dana says you know it, it would make sense somehow. Uh, I can still see Volkanovski and Zabit somehow fighting this year, especially if Yair's out of the picture for a minute. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. So I'm, I'm trying to bring up the featherweight rankings. You know, you also have Josh Emmett, who's kind of getting up there, too. Um, you know, Josh and Zabit wouldn't be bad if Josh wasn't out for so long. Yeah, he's but, got the ACL um, injury. You know, you've got guys like Sadiq Youssef climbing up the rankings, Arnold Allen. Uh, you always have Ryan Hall, too, who's like kind of like the sleeper at, at featherweight, too. Nobody um, wants to fight that guy. 
Very true. And then you, you've got another guy who I absolutely love. You got Shane Burgos too, who's always going to be a fun fight no matter who he's fighting. Um, so I don't know. I'm I'm kind of with you though. I, I truly think that they might pull Zabit just for um, lack of preparation. But you gotta you gotta kind of think that there are people like Shane Burgos or maybe like Ryan Hall. Um, who would, you know, who kind of would put their name in the hat. You know, you've got Calvin right there. Um, I think if they make any fight, I would rather it be Calvin, but if not, then just maybe take Zabit off and, you know, kind of maybe book a, uh, you know, maybe let him let him on a, a pay-per-view or uh, or maybe headline a fight night, you know? Yeah, I think all those things are possible. Before we get to breaking down the next card, just a couple more fights that have recently come out and been finalized. Uh, Ryan Hall's got a fight booked. He's going to fight Ricardo Lamas here at the end of the month. The UFC has yet to put a date on it, but the UFC is working on Jeremy Stevens against Edson Barbosa at 145 pounds, what will be just a fun fight. Uh, also finalized, Holly Holm and Irene Adanya has been rebooked for October 3rd. Also October 3rd, Andre Arvlowski is going to fight Tanner Boser, who's looked really good lately. That's going to be a tough fight for Arvlowski, but a good chance for Boser to make a few more fans. And then earlier we talked in the show about the two other big fights. October 17th, Jessica I against Jessica Andrade, the debut at flyweight for Andrade. And then the Khabib card, UFC 254, that's now starting to get put together. Khabib and Gagey, the main event. Whitaker against Jared Cannonier, co-main event. And Alexander Volkov against Walt Harris also added to, added to that card. So there's going to be even more fun fights going on. The UFC also expected uh, sometime in the next week to announce the next time they're coming to Fight Island. So that's going to be fun, too. I think they're trying to come there uh, starting at the end of October. So there's a lot of big things coming up. But one big thing coming up this weekend, guys, is the next Fight Night show, right back to Vegas, right back to the Apex, uh, UFC Fight Night, Lewis versus Olenek. And it's very similar to last week's fight card where I really don't know what to expect. I mean, this could be one of those crazy, fun, under-the-radar cards or one of those cards where, you you know, it's it's here and there to determining what you guys see. Uh, just looking through the card, what kind of stands out to you, Josh and TJ, uh, that's going to make you want to watch this card on Saturday? Uh, on the uh, on the prelim card, I mean, you got uh, Loriano Sharpoli who um, – I don't, I don't know if you guys are very familiar with him, but he fought, uh, uh, Pitbull Alves. And I mean, that was just an absolutely phenomenal fight. He is such a fun striker to watch. Um, you know, we also have the rebooking of Kevin Hollins. And not to take anything away from Tim Means, who's fighting, uh, Starpoli at all. Tim Means is always fun to watch, but you got the rebooking of Kevin Holland. Uh, you got Dariush and Holtzman. I mean, this, this could be a very fun card. Uh, or it could be kind of one of those that <laughs> potentially drags on. You know, you got Chris Weidman in the in the co-main event. You know, Weidman has been finished um, five of his last six fights. You know, I I just don't know. <laughs> this is dangerous territory, boys. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm actually really excited to actually see that Weidman fight. I'm a, I'm a Weidman fan, and I I love watching him come up to come to go fight for the title uh, against Anderson and. Uh, he has uh, some really good knockouts and really good performances all, all the way up to that point. So I'm kind of a Weidman fan, so I'm really excited to see what he does uh, against Akhmedov. And Akhmedov will kind of come into the fight with uh, a very lesser known than Weidman, but 24-1 and one on his career. He's got very good power, 
a good wrestling game as well, and we know Weidman's got the ability, uh, but really had trouble putting it all together, putting together a complete mm-hmm. fight. We've seen, even in his losses, moments where he looks like the Chris Weidman that was middleweight champion, and then something happens and just falls apart. But that's a big chance for Weidman because we talked about this middleweight division. If Weidman goes in there and just looks impressive, I mean, he will shoot back up into that top five of the middleweight division based on name value alone. Uh, Josh, you missed uh, you, my fight that I can't wait to see. Benil Daryush and Scott Holtzman, they're both fighting to get into that uh, top 15 ranking. Uh, Scott Holtzman from Knoxville. I'm from Greenville, so Josh, you're local as well around the southeast. So Holtzman, a very well-known name around here. And for a long time, you know, Holtzman was just sort of, sort of that fun fighter to watch. But lately, he's really put it together. He's looked a lot sharper on his feet. And then Darius, you know, a guy in his last fight especially, uh, looked like we were just minutes away from seeing him get put down, going to be put to sleep, going to get knocked unconscious. And then out of nowhere, knocks out Klaus with that amazing, just late rally knockout. Uh, 12-4-1 his UFC career. So he's been in the UFC a long time, even longer than I thought. Did not know that he's been in the UFC that long. I mean, if you look at his record, I mean, the guy was 4-0 when he made his UFC debut. Now he's 18-4-1. So he has come a long way inside the UFC. Uh, That's going to be a great way to open up the main card. Yeah, man, absolutely. Hot sauce, Holtzy, man. Um, <laughs> you know what's, what's really fun about Benil Dariush is, you know, he fought uh, Drakkar Close from, um, sorry, from Arizona in the same camp that Sugar Sean's from, right? Um, you know, Scott Holtzman was also in that camp for a little while, too. Um, I I really like Holtzman, man, but you kind of got to wonder – you know, that Dariush and, uh, and Close fight was just absolutely incredible. You kind of got to wonder if we're going to see a, a repeat of that, you know. Benil Dariush is super deadly, man, and definitely one of those guys that doesn't really get the, the respect that he always deserves. Um, but he's definitely a fun guy to watch. Kind of start hitting his stride here uh, as of late. And, you know, another really good fight, uh, the one right after that, you know, Yana Kunitskaya, man, one of those Jackson Link fighters that, um, you know, she might have had a, a bit of a tough time in the UFC so far, but she's always uh, pretty fun to watch too, you know? Yeah, and she's going to be taking on uh, a tough fight against one of the hardest-to-say names in the UFC, uh, Storolenko, fighting her. Both fighters have potential, but they're going to have to really put it together to make a run at Bantamweight, which is wide open right now because we have no idea what's happening at the top of that division. Uh, you have fun fights all over the card, and obviously we're skipping one big fight, so let's jump to the big fight. Derek Lewis, Alexi Olenek. A battle of two heavyweights who have such different styles. Derek Lewis, a heavy hitter, can probably knock out anyone in the heavyweight division if given the opportunity. Uh, he, it seems like just yesterday he was a guy who was sort of always on the prelims, putting on fun fights. But here over these last couple of years, has really jumped up to fighting everyone in this heavyweight division. Uh, from Derek Lewis on down, he's had some very outstanding performances. But then, obviously, when you talk Derek Lewis, you think back to the Francis Naganu fight where sort of laid an egg. We didn't really know what to expect. He's got a TKO loss to Junior Dos Santos. It sort of knocked him out of that top 10 ranking. But since then, we've seen him beat Alexander Volkov. We've seen him beat Iliar Latifi at his heavyweight debut. So now Derek Lewis has got a tough fight against maybe the toughest fight in terms of that gatekeeping area of heavyweight against Alexi Olenek. Uh, he's got back-to-back wins over Fabricio Verdum. Again, another fight where, you know, was it maybe the most exciting fight? I think it said more about Verdum than it did Olenek. And we just seen what Verdum did. Uh, he's got a submission win against Maurice Green as well. 
boys, this is such a tough fight because on one hand, we talked a bit, a bit about this before we even actually started recording the show. This is a fight that on one hand could be just fireworks, could be Olenek dragging him to deep water, getting a great submission, could be Derek Lewis knocking him out in about 45 seconds. On the other hand, it could be a fight where both guys are sort of tentative because Olenek's worried about the knockout and Lewis is worried about the takedown. How do you guys see this main event going five rounds on Saturday? You know, Derek Lewis in the past has kind of had a little bit of a suspect gas tank. Um, you know, when he when he fought, um, gosh, I'm I'm trying to think back now. Um, who was it? Was uh, it Volkov? Yeah. You know, Volkov. He's he's definitely losing that fight, and he keeps this power throughout the entire fight. And you know, Alexei Olenek is such a good grappler, man. And, and I kind of I'm kind of looking back now to the uh, that Ivanov. Uh, fight the the Blagoy Ivanov fight. Um, Ivanov is definitely a, a good grappler, and, and you know Alexei Olenek could be uh, potentially light years ahead of of Ivanov in in gra- in I guess overall grappling. Yeah, pure that's kind of the, yeah, yeah, that's kind of the fight that I'm kind of referring to. Um, you know, we've seen we've seen Lewis kind of be taken in these deep waters, and and he does keep the power. Um. Kind of makes you, kind of makes you wonder how this fight could go. I'm, I'm gonna say that Derek Lewis probably finishes him though. I, I really like this new fit Derek Lewis, you know, spoiling the Larry Latifi, um, heavyweight debut. Before that, it was Ivanov. And, and, you know, you mentioned the loss to, to DC and the, the title fight loss to DC and then, uh, the loss to, to JDS before that, you know, both really good guys. No shame in losing to either one of those guys. Uh, but before that, you know, he beat Alexander Volkov on the, the Conor Khabib uh, card. You know, before that, it was the unanimous decision over Francis, which was you know, kind of a uh, – that was everybody's – yeah, that was everybody's little 15-minute nap, you know. But <laughs> um, before that, it was, it was Marcin Tabura, it was Travis Brown, you know, uh, Roy Nelson. I mean, he has some really good names to his belt. Um, with that being said, I mean, so does Alexei Olenek. Um, you know, most recently was the – um, the Francis Verdum fight, you know? So it's it's one of those fights where this, I probably can't really make a pick on this. This is kind of one of those things that kind of goes either way, you know? Uh, all in it coming off the win over Verdum, coming off the win over the Crochet boss. But you got to kind of remember before that, you know, he was knocked out by Walt Harris. Before that, he was knocked out by uh, Overeem. Uh, you know, he, he was stopped by, uh, by Curtis Blades, you know? So I don't know. I, I kind of see Derek Lewis just kind of taking this and and kind of saying, okay, I need a, a good performance to put me back in the, uh, you know, back in the maybe not in the title picture, but kind of back in that that top five kind of um, kind of frame. So I don't know. I, I kind of think we see a a very um, inspired Derek Lewis, and I think we probably get a finish before the 25 minutes is up. Yeah, I think so too. I think he's gonna rise to the occasion here, and. Uh... I have him winning. I have him winning this fight, but it's, it's like I said. I, I think it's uh, it's a finish early for either guy. If, if Olenek is able to drag him down and keep him there, then uh, he'll finish it early there. And with all that said, guys, you know, oh, go ahead, Josh. You know, we said it last week too with with Shabazzian versus Brunson. You know, it's it's so hard to tell sometimes when when it's almost like you have these polar opposites. You know, you have this really good grappler versus this really good striker. And, and you know, last week was a really good example when you kind of have this this uh, kind of old veteran and this up-and-coming star. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to make those picks, but um, 
you know, I kind of, I, I'm really leaning towards Derek Lewis in this, and it's nothing against Olenek. I wouldn't mind seeing him actually go on a title run, but, but I, I just see that power being a little too much. That's all I wanted to, to put out there was I just think that power might be a little too much, especially when you have a guy, um, so if you're looking, you know, if you're looking at your last seven or eight fights, you know, you've been knocked out three times. Um, that's kind of the deciding factor for me, you know. Yeah, and you know, both guys have just such unique styles in a way too. I mean, Derek Lewis, you mentioned that fight against Volkov. I mean, that looked like a video game. He literally went that third round, knowing what he had to do, literally throw 14 overhands back to back to back to back, and one finally landed. And for Olenek, this is a guy who can submit you in many places. I mean, one of the only guys in the UFC that can submit you if you are on top and full mount. I mean, he literally can strike from anywhere, so that's going to be a fun fight. All in on the baseline. Using fight statistics, in-depth analytics, the money line, and our impressive collective fight IQ. It's time to place your bets on Baseline MMA. MMA. With that said, it's time to make some picks, Josh. TJ, let's go from the very beginning of the main card. We're looking at the lightweight fight between Benil Daryush and Scott Holtzman. Where are we going with this one? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and pick, pick Daryush in that one. Yeah, I as much as I love uh, Scott Holtzman, man, I'm going to have to kind of go with, with Darius on this as well. I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to go Holtzman, not because he's from about an hour <laughs> away from me, but I do like his style, and I think Darius has got a fun style. I just think Holtzman, Holtzman might hold on for that one. I do think that will probably be your fight of the night. Uh, moving to the uh, women's bantamweight division, Yana Kutsukaya matched up uh, against another outstanding grappler at 135 pounds, and Julia Storenko. Kutsukaya all the way. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of one of those guys where if you take uh, the politics out of fighting and what fighters do outside of the gym, I am a huge Jackson Wink fan, man. So, uh, you know, I tend to always kind of ride with the Jackson Wink guys, and, and this is going to be no different, man. I really like Yana Kunitskaya. You know, fun fact about her, she's dating uh, Tiago Santos. And, you know, you kind of got to wonder how much of his game, uh, you know, he's kind of helped her with and, and what Jackson Wink's done for her. So, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, with Kunitskaya, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that very confidently. Yeah, uh, it's a late-notice fight, too. It was supposed to be against Caitlin Vieira, which would have been a fantastic fight, but on short notice, I think Kutsukaya gets it done as well there. Moving to the middleweight bout, maybe the most underrated bout on the card, just because I think people look at the records and go, well, this isn't something. But these are two very exciting middleweights. Uh, Maki Patolo taking on Darren Stewart. Yeah, I'm uh, inclined to go with Maki on this one. Yo, Maki Patolo, the coolest name in the UFC, and... Absolutely, uh, absolutely deadly, man. I'm gonna have to go with Maki on this one. Yeah, I am as well. I like Darren Stewart, and I think he's got a lot of intangibles, but I think Maki's just one of those guys who's still pretty underrated in the middleweight division. That moves us to our co-main event, and just a fight I really can't wait to see because so many different things could happen. Amari Akhmedov in the middleweight division going against former champion Chris Weidman. I'll stick with the former champ. I want to see Weidman come back here. I'm gonna go ahead and pick him. TJ, I hate to, because you guys know, you know, Justin Gaethje's my guy, you know, so if you guys pick against Justin, you know, that's going to hurt my heart, and I I feel like Weidman's your guy, and it's going to kind of hurt your heart a little bit, but the, the fact that he's been stopped five times in the last six is the only reason uh, that I'm not going to pick Weidman. You know, it's it's one of those things where this truly could go either way. We could see a very inspired Chris Weidman, like like we've seen against Kelvin Gastelum. But I don't I don't know, man. I don't know. You know, fun fact: Weidman's a black belt. You know, so the grappling, uh, I think he'll probably do okay. But but 
I don't know, man. Something's just telling me to, to pick against him, bro. I'm sorry. I won't do that to you, TJ. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Weidman here. I think in I think in a lot of sense, this for Weidman, this is a must win fight. I really think this is sure. this is must win, or it's gonna be one of those things where Dana sits you down and starts talking about retirement or Bellator. I mean, it's it's one of those things. So I think Weidman comes out. I don't know if he gets a finish, but I think he can use his range, his distance. I think he might even be stronger in the clinch against Akhmedov, and I think he ends up getting it done. Which will, I think he'll be good with his back against the wall as long as he doesn't throw any spinning kicks. Oh yeah, that's that's not a good. You thing. know what? You know what, guys? Fuck it. I'm gonna go with Wadman. Just <laughs> just for you, just for you, TJ. I'm gonna go for Wad. Maybe when I publish my picks, it might look a little bit different on paper. But but on the podcast, I'm gonna I'm gonna say, you know what? Let's go with Wadman. All right, and then when uh, Ogmanov knocks him out in the first round, you guys can all message me. <laughs> I'm sure Josh will be right in like there. I feel like he's going to block me before I get the chance. (laughs) (laughs) And guys, looking at the main event, another fight where just who knows what could happen here. Derek Lewis, 23-7 in that one-no contest, taking on Lexi Olenek, who's got one of the craziest records, 59-13-1. It's your typical, your traditional power puncher against submission ace. Where are we going? Five-round heavyweight main event. I'm going to start with you, Josh. Make your pick. Is it the Black Beast or is it the Boa Constrictor? H-Town, man, the Black Beast. And like I said, just because of the the fact that Derek Lewis does carry that power so late in fights. And, you know, he, he made some lifestyle changes. You know, he's he's supposedly slimming down quite a bit. Uh, I'm going to say Derek Lewis on this. Yeah. Like I said, uh, it'll go early for either guy, but I'm, I'm going to lean. I'm going to say uh, Lewis, and it'll finish early. Guys, we're mostly all on the same page because I think so, too. I think Lewis gets it done first-round knockout. I think when you look at Olenek's record, the guys who have given him the most trouble are those really hard overhand-throwing power punchers, which is, I mean, Derek Lewis' bread and butter right there. So I think Lewis uh, gets it done early there. So we go three for three in the main event. Guys, how about a bonus pick here? Let's go to the Bellator card coming up this weekend because they got an explosive main event. Uh, former lightweight champion Michael Chandler of Bellator against former UFC lightweight champion Benson Henderson. Uh, I'm all eyes on the Olenek and uh, Black Beast fight, but I am real excited to see Michael Chandler against Benson Henderson in that Bellator main event. Ooh, uh, I'm going to have to go with Benson on that one. He uh, always has great coaching and a great game plan, and uh, I think he, he go has, he's going to go ahead and win that fight. I uh, I've actually rolled with uh, with uh, Benson Henderson before, and I've had I've actually had a couple of conversations with Michael Chandler too. I think this is this is a very good fight, but it's you know it's a rematch. I think the the second fight's probably going to go a lot like the first one. Um, you know I think Michael Chandler's just going to be a little bit too explosive, a little bit too tenacious. Um, I think it's probably going to be a five rounder, uh, like a, a decision. I don't, I don't think we're going to get a finish out of it, but I do think Michael Chandler probably wins pretty convincingly. Two of the best touch and go fighters that we've ever seen in both Chandler and Henderson. And Chandler has got sort of that reputation from his early days of just being a brawler. He's really kind of changed things over the past and now is a much smarter and very pinpoint striker. I think that's going to be a real fun fight. Looking forward to that one. Uh, another fight on this Bellator card I'm real excited about. Miles Jury taking on Georgie Karkishian. That's the uh, lightweight fight. Two former featherweights 
Uh, guys, don't know if you've seen either one of these guys before. Miles Jury at one point in time was a high prospect in the UFC and then things fell apart. He got abruptly, I don't even think he got cut. I think Bellator just sort of stole him out from under him. Uh, Georgia Carkeesian, one of my favorite fighters to watch, a guy who's got some wild striking. Uh, he's almost been in trouble for soccer kicks before because he comes from that old school soccer and Japan background. Uh, I love that fight. That's actually maybe my favorite fight. Besides maybe Holtzman and Dariush, I really think Miles Jury and Karkishian is going to be a crazy fight this weekend. Yeah, I will pick Karkishian in that one, and I'll also pick Mitrione in the main, in the co-main. I, I try to not let picks be affected by, like, personalized, but if you guys ever go to Miles Jury's YouTube and he talks about fighter pay, um, I just want to say I hope that guy's getting paid because uh, the way that he's broke down fighter pay over the years in his YouTube videos, it's super sad, man. His last couple performances, UFC-wise, weren't the best showing for him. But you you always kind of have to wonder about that level of competition, the the difference from Bellator to the UFC. And, you know, we've seen, like, the first fight with Benson Henderson and, and, and Michael Chandler. You know, Benson Henderson was a champ over in the UFC. And he came over to fight the uh, the lightweight champ uh, Bellator, and, you know, the Bellator champ won in, in this uh, case. You never truly know, though. Um I want Miles Jury to win, but this kind of seems like one of those uphill battles that I can't really see him winning. But you know, let's. I'm just. I'm hoping that guy wins, but I don't. I don't think it happens. Yeah, I think Jury has got one way to win, and he's going to have to really be dynamic and pick his strikes and pick his takedowns well. I do like Karkishian, though. Just one of my absolute underrated favorites to watch. He's just got a fun. It almost reminds me at times of sort of that early day Justin Gagey style. I mean, he just throws and throws and throws. Uh, it's going to be a fun fight. And then you heard TJ mentioned that co-main event at heavyweight. Uh, two guys people have seen over the years, and both guys have uh, almost close to 500 records, uh, Matt Mitrione and Timothy Johnson. Uh, we got TJ's pick. Josh, where are you going to that heavyweight co-main? I'm going to have to go with Mitrione too, man. I uh, <laughs> I like Mitrione, man. Mitrione, Mitrione's good. Yeah, I think Mitrione's one of those guys who people just remember for stuff on the Ultimate Fighter in early days, but he does have some skills. I'm actually going to go Timothy Johnson, though. I like that he's got that really – kind of hard, almost stall grappling style. I think we'll see a little bit more of that sort of wear Mitrione down in that Bellator show. The Bellator show is coming up this weekend. Again, as always, the Bellator shows fly a little bit under the radar, but they're in Connecticut again this weekend. I believe prelims at 7.15, main card at 10, and then the UFC show this weekend, uh, main card starting at 9. So uh, some good fights coming up this weekend. And again, you know, you always have these fight nights right before a big pay-per-view that sort of don't get the same buzz because I know just like all three of us are, a lot of people already looking forward to UFC 252 next weekend with uh, the big heavyweight fight. Looking forward to talking about that fight with you guys. Stipe and Cormier, guys, just one week away. Before we go oh, any yeah. further, I, I do want to say that Mitrion Fedor double knockdown, those are like the, uh, you guys watch hockey, the hat tricks? Those are like the hat trick of, of MMA when you, <laughs> when you get a double knockdown. Uh, I'm so excited for DC and Stipe. Hope he's ready to wrestle. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fun fight. That's and that's next week. Trying not to get ahead of ourselves, but that's such a fun fight. Looking forward to talking about that, guys. Guys, before we're all done here, anything else about the upcoming show or anything you guys want to mention? I think uh, if people who potentially sleep on Bellator should definitely tune in because this is going to be a really good weekend for Bellator. On these, these fight nights where you kind of have these lackadaisical uh, cards almost, you know, it, it seems more filler than not sometimes. These are potentially some of the best fight nights that you have, right? Because you always have these guys who are trying to prove a point. Um, you know, and, and I know we joke around a lot, but this this could be, you know, one of the better weekends of fighting. You know, you've got the Bellator, 
Uh, you've got the UFC. I mean, we have so many options this weekend. I'm definitely going to be rocking the, uh, the, the home TV on UFC and the laptop on Bellator, you know? Yeah, watch the post-fight interview when Derek Lewis gets a win and hope, hope, uh, hope you see something great. Oh, I can't wait for him to go on Joe Rogan after. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what we were saying earlier. He can't mess this weekend up because he's got the Joe Rogan podcast coming up. Uh, one prelim I didn't mention earlier I'm real excited for, Gavin Tucker and Justin James. That's going to be probably one of those other secret fight of the night fights on the uh, UFC prelims. But, uh, yeah, definitely the Bellator show. Again, they always seem to fly under the radar. There's just not a, a ton of promotion out there for Bellator right now. I know it really snuck up on a lot of people that card a couple weeks ago. A lot of people didn't even know they were back. And then out of nowhere you got uh, Little Pettis fighting in the main event and Taiwan Claxton on there, and you had a lot of things going on, and, and people really had no idea. I mean, a lot of people were getting notifications on Twitter like, wait a minute, who's who's fighting where? So I uh, know the uh, Chandler and Bits and Henderson, and of course you got Matt Vitrione and Miles Jury, a lot of former UFC guys, and that always sort of creates a little bit more buzz. But yeah, definitely a great fight weekend, and I'm sure we'll, ha- we'll have filler this week just because they really want to push UFC 252 coming up. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you guys this. Do you think that's a marketing problem on the Bellator side, or do you think it's just that the UFC is so superior it almost it almost kind of does this to all the other promotions, you know, because one championship really doesn't get a lot of respect, and, you know, Ryzen, of course. Um, so do you think that's potentially due to marketing, or do you think it's just that the, over, the, the UFC kind of overshadows everybody? I think that generally their marketing is pretty good. I think that right now it's just more apparent now than more than ever that it's not as good as the UFC, that, like their, their organization, that the way they put stuff together isn't as good as the UFC because the UFC is putting on shows a lot earlier than them and has been doing it for a little bit more, and they're marketing pretty well right now. So I think you're just kind of seeing that gap there. Hopefully Bellator catches up, but they're still really early. Uh, as far as a company, too, they're, they haven't been uh, doing it like the UFC's been doing it when, with all this COVID stuff going on. You know what I think part of it is, too, is is they tend to feed a lot of their, uh, let's say, the, the names, right? You've got your Michael Venom Pages. You've got your Aaron Picos. They kind of feed these guys cans, you know, nine times out of ten. Do you think that is potentially part of it? People get kind of tired of tuning in to see... Uh, you know, first-round finishes over people that don't look like they should even be there. Well, the problem there is they've done that a lot, but it's backfired on them each time. I mean, they the page, you know, he got built up, and then he gets his first big fight, boom, knocked out quickly against uh, Douglas Lima. A killer and, against a killer. Oh, yeah, and then Aaron Pico. I mean, we've seen what happened to him as well. James Gallagher the same way. So we've seen it, it backfire on them some as well. So I, I think that changes the Bellator approach with how, how they kind of present some of their – what do you call them? Their homegrown talent, so to speak. And a lot of times, you know, you're really torn. You know, if you're Bellator, do you try to promote your homegrown talent because you know they're your guys, or do you continue to try to push? Hey, we got a former UFC champion in our main event. I mean, that's just a that's a really a tough way to sort of spin it if you're Bellator in terms of marketing. You also got to remember, Bellator came back the exact same time that all the other sports are coming back as well. The UFC really capitalized on being the only sport in town for a while and really taking full advantage of you know, ESPN being like, oh, yes, thank you so much. And now Bellator's competing with baseball and basketball and uh, training camp in the NFL and every other sport, plus also competing with the UFC. So, of course, that's going to hurt their kind of produ- or not their production, but the way they promote things as well. Yeah, I think so too. Is that that they have a lot of uh, they have a lot some stars, but they have so few big stars. So when one of them gets no, so brutally knocked out the way that he did, it's like 
devastating to their the way that they market things and yeah, but, uh, the way that they put on fights because that guy's out for a while now, right? When it comes down to the UFCs that they have so many that when something like that happens, it's like, oh wow, well it's okay, we have another big fight coming up now. Well, where's that Bellator? It's like, well, damn, that guy's gonna be on the shelf for a little bit, so. We have to promote these other guys. And the UFC can sneak them back in. I mean, you think Edmund Shabazian, his next fight probably won't be a main event or co-main event. They'll kind of sneak him into the prelims while, you know, Aaron Pico, I mean, his next fight after getting knocked out was a, you know, co-main event. James Gallagher, his next fight was on the main card. So you really can't sneak guys around the way the UFC can. Exactly. You don't just put MVP back on the on the undercard right. over there as the first fight. You know what I mean? Like, that's a, that's a, a main event fighter. That's your name value right there. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what they want to push is their homegrown guys. But, yeah, Bellator still, you know, they still got a lot of talent. There's a lot of fun guys to watch. And uh, the, the main card this weekend is a really good fight. We even mentioned uh, Curtis back on the card, and he, there's some good fights there. Uh, and their prelims are always real fun to watch because it seems like they always have just a random group of guys. You see some guys that are more so from the local scene. And then you get to see some of these guys that, you know, have potential to be the next sort of names in Bellator. So always I love watching Bellator. I usually don't watch Bellator live. I usually watch it the next day or, or Monday uh, after a show. But uh, a lot of good things happening in Bellator. I think this weekend, as you mentioned, Josh, it's going to be a real fun show to keep up with. I'd tell you the hardest thing for me is when BKFC does a card the same weekend as UFC because I've done so much work with BKFC. I always I always break out the laptop, man, and I've always got the double stream going, you know, one on the TV and one on the laptop. Um, I think this this weekend's probably gonna be no different for me. I I like what Bellator does. You know, sometimes it's it's a refreshing breeze to just kind of step away from the UFC and you see, uh, you know, sponsor logos on the shorts and and you kind of get the, the almost obnoxious walkouts. Uh, but sometimes it's kind of refreshing, you know. And I'm really excited for one to be coming back. You know, I'm really uh, I'm really excited. You know, you got DJ over there. Uh, Sage Northcutt who might fight again over there. <laughs> you know, you got you got Eddie Alvarez. I mean, you know, Ryzen. You know, one of the things that kind of slipped under our radar was Manel Cape coming over from from Ryzen coming to the UFC. You know, he uh, he was kind of the the head honcho at, at flyweight over there. You know, it's a very fun time to be a fight fan. I've, I've said that on the last three podcasts, but it truly is because we have so many options. That's that's probably the best part is we have options. It's almost like fast food. You know. Your, your UFC is like your Taco Bell, you know, because in my opinion, Taco Bell is the best. But uh, then you have, you know, your, you know, you've got your Bellator, you've got your Lechway, you know, if you have UFC Fight Pass, you've got the the EBI if you just like grappling. You know, this is super cool, and I love the double fights on the weekends. You know, the Bellator UFC sharing a weekend, or even the, the UFC sharing with BKFC. You know, I love these weekends. BKFC is a breath of fresh air for me to watch. Yeah, it's and there's some rumors, right? Aren't they, and Josh? You may know more about this than I do, but aren't they working on on offering a huge contract to Paige Van Zant? Oh, really? It is. It is rumored. <laughs> it is rumored. <laughs> there, there are a few females that are uh, in talk with BKFC uh, right now. It, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be very refreshing. Yeah, I just heard that was one of the the big things that that Paige was sort of. Uh, not scoffing at. I know she's got a lot of offers that she's kind of turning her head to because they're just not the same as you know probably even what the UFC is offering to just keep her around. But I did hear that uh, that they were sort of wowing her a little bit and willing to sort of go all in on making her probably the face of that promotion. But that's just sort of a, a rumor I'd heard. Didn't know if there was any two to draft. We also had the Contender Series start up last night. And that's that's one of my favorite things to watch. I love the old school concept of you're literally fighting to impress the boss. I mean, that's that's a very interesting 
sort of real-to-life concept that the UFC does where it's not about winning. I mean, you're literally trying to just woo him, and they end up making a couple signings, but that's going to be a fun thing. And uh, I love midweek cards as long as they don't go until 1 o'clock in the morning, so that's a fun Tuesday night. So, yeah, as you mentioned, a lot of fun things happening all throughout the fight world here as we uh, move through summer. You know, speaking on the BKFC, you know, one of the the signings that kind of went under the radar was Shannon Briggs signed to the BKFC not too oh, long yeah. ago. Yeah, Shannon Briggs. You know, you, you also – I can't believe we haven't mentioned it yet. We have Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. in, what is it, a month away now? Yeah, September 12th, I believe. Yeah, we have that coming up. That'll be super fun. They signed uh, Shannon Briggs, huh? Yeah, they signed Shannon Briggs. They also signed the sign Let's go, the, champ. Let's go, champ. They got Let's the go, uh, that Iranian Hulk guy, you know, they they uh, signed him. And they also signed uh, Fedor's brother, Alexander. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So they're they're making some pretty cool, some pretty cool waves. That's that's why I keep reiterating. It's just so fun to be a fight fan. We're, we're getting Mike Tyson after when was the last time he fought? 2002, 2003, something. Anybody? Anyway, sounds about right. Bueller. <laughs> Bueller, Bueller. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but no, we're we're getting Mike Tyson, Roy Jones. You know, next month. Uh, you know, everybody talks about you know Jake and Logan Paul, but I'm actually kind of having fun watching those guys. You know, they're they they bring a lot of eyes to these sports that that uh, we hope would stick around because more eyes on the sport, you know, means you know better fighter pay and and sometimes you know better fights being put on. So. Um, there's a lot of really cool stuff just within the next month to month and a half. And, and, you know, you look towards the October stuff and, and, you know, Chevy coming back, Gaethje and, and Khabib. This is, this is going to be a really good year for the UFC, even with the COVID happening. Last Tyson fight was June 2005, by the way. Lost to, uh, I done, lost to I, Kevin I, McBride. I done, I done my Bueller a little too early. <laughs> but yeah, thank you. Thank you, though. But no, yeah, we're we're getting Mike Tyson after 15 years. You know, this is this is absolutely phenomenal. I had to actually check my math there for a second. That's gonna be a wild one. We'll see how all that plays out. I know they're working on some stuff already for the undercard as well. Gonna try to make that a big time event. But uh, yeah, I think that's about everything for this episode. And we'll recap everything from Lewis and Olenek to Bellator, plus a full-on preview of the exciting upcoming pay-per-view between Stipe Miocic and Daniel Cormier and the entire UFC 252 card. Josh, TJ, thanks for hanging out. Oh, yeah, let's do it again next week. As always, brother. Thanks for listening to Baseline MMA. For written previews, recaps, and more, plus NBA, NFL, and other sports coverage, visit our website at BaselineTimes.com. Follow the Baseline MMA Twitter for live fight coverage every weekend. For TJ, Josh, and Cody, until next week, thanks for joining us on another episode of Baseline MMA.